On June 7th, 1998, James Byrd Jr., a black man from Jasper, Texas, accepted a ride from three white men. Jasper is a small place, and Byrd and the driver of the truck knew each other from around town. What happened next is one of the most infamous crimes in Texas history. The three men took Byrd to the edge of town, beat him, and then dragged him from the back of their truck for more than a mile, at which point James Byrd was decapitated. His murderers then took his body and placed it outside the black church in Jasper. The murder made national headlines and forced uncomfortable issues of racist violence back into the foreground, one of these issues being the continued existence and persistence of sundown towns. Uh, welcome back to the Texas Sucks podcast. Uh, sorry from that intro or maybe the title of this episode you might have gathered. Gonna be a bit of a heavy one today. Uh, for this episode, I have my friend Chewy, a kind of San Antonio native. And we got another San Antonio native uh, from my school, Ryan, co-host of the Save Continue podcast about gaming. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. And you are blessedly off Twitter, right? Yeah, I, I, uh, I only check Twitter. The only reason I use Twitter is to cyberbully politicians and corporations. That's the only reason people should use it. As it should be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh... It's going to be a heavy episode today, so I had to, we had to bring an extra guest host on, Chewy, and, um, you know, we wanted to talk about something a, a touch more serious than uh, punk rock and the continued legacy of the band Pantera. <laughs> um, so for my, my, our northern constituents, the, the good people of Seattle, Washington, who are unfamiliar with such crimes and uh, systemic racism as we're about to talk about today, because uh, they live in a utopia up here. Virginal. Um, the virginal uh, citizens of, of yeah, Seattle. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, what, what is a sundown town? So, I mean, the really the understanding that I've always had of sundown towns is that they had historically just been towns where if you are, if you are black, uh, you do not want to be caught uh, after the sun goes down. Uh, because it's kind of, you know, open season for, you know, anyone with, you know, of a darker complexion, uh, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, frequently uh, they'll mention things like signs on the outskirts of town, right? Telling you, you know, don't be here after dark and all this kind of stuff. I mean, the stuff of lore, really. In Texas, there's an infamous uh, Suntown town uh, referred to as Vider. And the reason why we brought up Jasper in the intro is that Vider and Jasper are basically right next to each other. Um, tell us a little bit about Vider, Texas. Uh, I can I can answer that one, Brian. Uh, no, uh, it's <laughs> it's it's odd. Uh, also, just it's on I ten, so you have to drive through it if you are going uh, east, and mm-hmm. especially with us being in in San Antonio, and I remember in our youth. Uh, driving to New Orleans isn't a horribly long drive, so that would often be a popular destination. And mm-hmm. it's odd because that entire corridor, like going through, uh, even before social media was prevalent, I even 
as like kids, basically, I still remember hearing about Vider, and it was just not a place you stop uh, at at all. But it's uh, it's a small town, and it's only about sixty miles south of Jasper, and its population, surprise, surprise, is ninety. 90- one percent basically white it's only a population of ten thousand eight hundred to begin with yeah and it was always as far as my recollection known as a sundown town which is something oddly unique to texas texas is a weird place (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think what i find out not so unique to texas but you know vider i mean you bring this up like Vider is this interesting place because even like me as like a white person with white family and stuff like you that, you felt unsafe. Even like head. white, even white people in Texas are like, hmm, don't stop there. <laughs> Just get your gas in Houston and go from there. Like, do, do not stop till you hit New Orleans. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know, uh, a town of re- relative infamy. Uh, yeah, I believe in the like the latest census, it had uh, fifty-seven black people living there. But the first black person didn't live there until like I think nineteen ninety-nine or something like that. Mm. Yeah, very cool stuff. Yeah. Um, which you know, to give people an idea, Vider is literally right next to Beaumont, Texas, like fourteen miles, I believe, between Beaumont and Vider, and. Uh, Vider has 57 black residents. Beaumont has 56,000 black residents. Yeah. Uh, Vider is 91% white. Beaumont is uh, 32% white, 48% black, right? So it's not like there just aren't any black people in the region, you know, which maybe some people might think like, oh, maybe just no black people live in the area. Uh, they're there, just not in Vider, right? right. So, so what happens, you know, uh, the Jasper incident was preceded by this other sort of infamous incident in Texas in 1993 in Vider. So what, what happened in Vider in 1993? So what I understand is that uh, it was like at that point in time, like Vider had been basically all like had been basically all white. Right. And uh, and so this was like, wasn't this a whole thing where like uh, they're trying to get some housing for, for blacks and Vider and then, uh, and then, you know, the, the residents of Vider just weren't having it. Yeah, like HUD had actually been sued for essentially maintaining segregated housing and public housing, right? Right. And they were sued, you know, on a national basis. But for reasons, uh, Henry Cisneros, a famous San Antonio guy, uh, decided that Vider would be the first town that they would try and create the segregated public housing. Uh, They then tried to secretly insert a couple of black residents into this public housing. And uh, let's just say all hell broke loose at this point. Um, Well, uh, the the funny thing about it to me is that um, like housing is like basically everywhere is is uh, racially segregated um mm-hmm. but it's not it's not an overt thing that is kind of just put out there and it's kind of one of those things where people just kind of they don't i don't know wouldn't say necessarily that they accept it but they're definitely um uh complicit with it um whereas when you look at a place like Viter where people are apparently had been allowed to be like just openly racist and keep that stuff out in the public, then, you know, people are more openly like 
active and violent about it, right? Whereas when you talk about like other town, when you talk about other places, you know, a lot of the times when, you know, people of color move into what is a predominantly white area, then you'll see, you know, there will be gossip and, and hushed tones, but like, usually it's not anything overt, right? But it just, I get a kind of, kind of further, kind of further uh, uh, magnifies just how fucked up this place is 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 people's ability to kind of just be like just not ability but like just willingness to like openly like protest things like this i have some quotes from the county commissioner uh actually i looked him up like right now he just passed away this year oddly enough but (laughs) um as far uh but the county commissioner's Beeman Minton, which I did not make up that name. That's a that's a <laughs> real a name. It's a good name. Yeah, but um, <laughs> uh, even when when like asked about that, he uh, he was quoted as it's it's kind of ironic too because he was saying, of course, he was downplaying the racism in Vider, like the inherent racism, and he pretty much was saying uh, he was lamenting that he was. He, uh, equivocated it to being a felon so he's like basically saying we're not you know we, we've been stuck with this this term or like being known as a sundown town and we're, we're trying to shed that but you know it's just like being a felon once you're convicted you can never live it down so it wasn't like he was like oh we're gonna change or you know like yeah things are different it's just more like yeah we used to be racist <laughs> and we're still and then there's the irony to be like oh wow it sucks sometimes to be a felon and you realize you can never have a yeah. normal life again yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah well it's it's worth noting like vider didn't accidentally become an all-white town right uh, this wasn't some product of like oh you know just white people love the woods or something uh in the 1920s they actually According to legend, lynched uh, three black men in Vider and ran off any black population that might have still been in the town. Uh, and since then, was maintained as an all-white town through, you know, fairly open uh, racism, right, and threats of violence, including for these people who end up moving into the public housing in 1993. Uh, they move in... Uh, uh, one man who's living by himself, older gentleman, right? And they move in two women who end up living together. And uh, basically, the two women are both single mothers. And basically, the whole town sort of unites around this idea of like, uh, let's just all call them the N-word as they walk down the street. Like, the the, the stories these people have of being invited are, are awful. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's a quote, um, because oddly enough... Uh, I think it was last year in June, early June, there was actually a BLM uh, march. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. in Vider, mm-hmm. and uh, so that like got a bit of national attention, and so CNN uh, had a correspondent down there. Yeah, like two hundred people showed up. Yeah, 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 and mm-hmm. so and a lot of them white. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, actually, I believe the march was organized by a white woman who lived in or lives yeah. in Viter. Yeah. Yeah. So like that was the whole thing. That was that was an interesting thing to me too, right? Because like I think her whole thing was like and it was kind of like it's weird because it was like kind of along the same lines as uh of of the dearly departed Mr. Minton was saying <laughs> where he like she she mentioned um she was talking about how um you know Viter has that you know that has that 
like shadow cast over it right and um and i guess like what she was doing was you know she was trying to like help them like hey like there are people in vitor who aren't who aren't racist or <laughs> people in vitor who don't who don't who aren't driven by hate right but like the, the i think what's worth noting here is a lot of the time when we talk about uh, a group of people who is who is typically you know a group of people who are typically known for a certain kind of behavior the go-to response and the the go-to response has always been um has always been well like we're not all like that and like not all mm. of us are like that right and and it should be her her name was uh was is uh maddie malone uh, mm-hmm. uh is the person who organized this but like um the the difference here and worth noting is a lot of people will say you know we're not all like this right and she kind of what she did is important because what she did was take it a step further and say not only are we not, not only do we support black people not only are are we looking to be allies to black people but we're actually going to uh we're actually going to put action behind that and actually show up for black people and that is a really important thing because i think a lot of the time where especially when it comes to any kind of activism um and this is and, and I and I got to say, like, you know, most of my white friends are 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 guilty of this as well, is that it's really easy to share memes and stuff on the Internet. It's really easy to uh, to copy and paste quotes by black leaders on the Internet. Right. But what's not easy is putting yourself out there and in harm's way, potentially to stand up for the people that you you know you wish to be allied with and when you're talking about a town like biter with the reputation that biter has it's a very dangerous it can be a very dangerous idea to to show up for a cause like this and it reminds me of when you were talking uh brian about mm-hmm. how you like even as a white person with a white family you felt unsafe stopping in biter and there's something to that because you think about all the times when white people are called nigger lovers because they love a black person or they are friends with a black person, right? And and many there are situations where people can find that they are at they are in harm's way because people will retaliate to uh, uh, against people like that. Um, and I think that's I think that that fear permeating through not only black people but people who even I, I sarcastically say dare be friends with or know or love black people, even them having to be afraid just kind of highlights what kind of uh, hatred uh, has historically driven this town. So when, yeah. when, a white, when a white person goes out and says, look, I'm going to go out with a bunch of my white friends and say, hey, we, there are a bunch of people here in Vidor who are – for black people and for the equal treatment of blacks and for the valuing of black lives. Um, that does more than, you know, just telling me that not all white people are racist. So I think that's mm-hmm. definitely worth noting too. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Vider to make a town like Vider all white, you know, the, the sort of racism requirement stuff is a totalizing sort of system, right? Because it's not enough that you tell the you know black residents that they can't be here, right? 
it's not enough that you insinuate or act on violence, you know, against black residents. You also have to tell the other white residents that they're not allowed to accept them either. Right. Right. You know, uh, which is what makes these places, you know, as you're saying, scary places to be sometimes. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, to give it a, a sort of hint, I mean, the, you know, two of the women who were, you know, called on to, to take up this, you know, call from public housing, we have uh, from the story in Texas Monthly, Vider Black and White, uh, at the time that, you know, this, these events happen, they they give this recounting, right? They say, you know, so when the women took a walk up Main Street, no one wanted anything to do with them. No one would even give them a job application and people snickered at them behind their backs. What's wrong with this little town? They asked Ross Dennis back at the public housing. Why, Brenda? He asked. People called us names. She began tearfully. Bitches, whores, inwards, right? Selders cut in. Well, Brenda, Dennis began. This is Vider. Didn't anybody explain to you about Vider? The women shook their heads. By the time Vinish, uh, Dennis finished his history of the town, Brenda Lannis and Alexis Selders had made a decision to get out of Vider as soon as they could. And, you know, this gives you a hint of, you know, one, the sort of environment <laughs> in Vider even in 1993, but also just the sort of the weight of the historical violence and stuff like that. I mean, you can imagine these, you know, you know single women or, or single mothers who are just trying to like, make yeah. some sort of way in public housing and then all of a sudden you know have no idea what the hell this stupid town is i think they're both from houston and had no idea about vider uh are all of a sudden hearing the story and are like oh fuck that means get out <laughs> like, yeah time to go <laughs> yeah and and also like um in terms of the 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 uh, the black lives matter protests that happened last year like Vider the, the the reputation of Vider is such that if you look on social if you look on social media posts from from last year when that protest happened, like a lot of black people were like, "That's a trap, that's an obvious trap," and yeah, yeah, yeah. like like there's no way like I'm gonna go to Vider for a Black Lives Matter protest. This is obvious. This is obviously a trap. And me, I think, and like one of the things I've learned in my life, like. After I've spent thirty, after I've spent thirty six years being black, and so uh, what something that I've learned in those thirty six years is that you have to be very cautious as a black person about where you go and what you allow yourself to be exposed to. And I think that if someone told me that, like to give an example, like there is in in New York City, right? There was there is a there was a uh, uh, a police uh, bus that was called the it's like called the game bus or the game truck or something right and what they were doing was they were allowing uh, uh, youths to go into the bus and play video games as much as they want which but you know me being black and being very very cautious about any sort of dealings with the police I was like that's obviously a means of getting fingerprints yeah. So, uh, and so, like, when it's like, at least when, something not good, right? Yeah. So, when you apply that logic to a place to something like a Black Lives Matter protest in Biter, it seems like a very on the nose way to trap black people and do harm to them, right? Mm -hmm. And so, that also is aside from the fact that Biter is mostly white, um, that would also explain why most people in attendance at that Black Lives Matter protest were white because. Black people, like, yeah, maybe it's not a trap, but, like, do you really think you can afford to find out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, oldest trick in the book. You know? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
so like it, it's like it's it's like it it just very much seems like an obvious trap, right? So every basically every single uh, social media post from black people about this was basically saying, "Look, that's a trap." And yeah. because like I've been always told to not even stop for gas in Viter as a black person. So do you think I'm actually going to go to Viter <laughs> and, and and join a Black Lives Matter protest and make these white people angry? No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a scary thought. So the idea that um, that, you know, we are even afraid to show up to something that is basically the whole crux of it is to demand that we are treated like our lives mean something and to think mm-hmm. that that the, the idea of something like that would be used as a trap again uh, uh underscores the 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 uh the rot i think that has kind of spread throughout this town yeah you know speaking to that uh once again beeman uh, my boy beeman r.i.p but uh <laughs> but, but i have i have a a, a a quote when they were asking him about Vider's history and he was quoted as saying we don't have a clan we haven't had the clan here in 30 years and do it what's crazy to me is like that's in our lifetime like yeah. the, the three of us alone are <laughs> i would have been eight years old then in Vider, and there was the clan would have still been there so even just just for him to be like we haven't had the clan in 30 years i'm like that's not that long ago beeman right <laughs> yeah, do, do better not long beeman. enough yeah, not long yeah, enough, like, like, like literally, can you imagine? Like we would all have been single digit age, but like kids, but still, thirty years is pretty right. fucking recent. But like, then, like imagine if as it as an eight year old, right? Imagine as an eight year old uh, inviter where the clan is still there, and like, and, like you, like you being like being a, a, a non white person inviter where the clan is still active as an eight year old. Like, oh, what yeah. do you think that would have meant for you, right? So oh, I have a pretty strong idea. But yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. That's just crazy. Like some of the, I feel like these, these quotes, uh, cause like with the BLM demonstration, it brought a lot of national media attention. And mm-hmm. a lot of these quotes from city officials or even for the County are, are, yeah, it's a similar thing. Like we haven't had the clan here in 30 years or there's a, mm-hmm. um, the, the mayor, uh, at the time, uh, Joe Hopkins, he had another quote and same thing. He said the literal quote is the vast majority of our citizens are not racist. <laughs> and so, so it's, it's kind of like that thing. Like if you have to say that, that yeah. already let's it's, like, it's like the classic, like some of my best friends are black. Like if you have to say yeah. that, that already lets me know <laughs> you're fucking racist. <laughs> well, I mean, interestingly at the time of the incident in 1993, Vider had not one, but two different rival clan groups <laughs> marching through the streets of Vider, uh, apparently trying to poach each other's members and having, you know, I mean, when you don't have just the clan, but you have rival clans, yeah, like you know, I mean, that's that's like quite two, two yeah. groups of people trying to out racist each other. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah they're like, man, the clan's too liberal. They've changed. We just started a different offshoot because because those cucks in the Ku Klux Klan are, are way too progressive. Yeah. <laughs> Which was basically it. I mean, uh, apparently, one of the big splitting points was that they thought like the. Uh, the David Duke style clan were sellouts, you know, they were, they weren't keeping it true <laughs> to the origins. I mean, also worth noting, I mean, David Duke at the time is a major political figure in neighboring Louisiana, <laughs> you know, open Klansman is also running for office and getting large numbers of votes in Louisiana at this exact same time. Um, 
it's you know it, it's this interesting thing and i mean when we when we talk about this violence and stuff too i mean in the case of james bird and jasper it's not that that murder makes everybody think that like oh if i go to jasper that's definitely going to happen to me but it does make you think well that fucking could happen to me right <laughs> absolutely know? absolutely which is enough right yeah well just the chance right and in and, and you know it reminds me of like any t- like if 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 anybody if if anybody listening or you guys if you guys follow me if you guys are friends with me on Facebook you will see that I am very public about how I feel about cops and a lot of the time one of the things that I run into is that well not all cops are bad right not all cops are are out to hurt black people which okay I'll entertain that however how am I to know which ones will and which ones won't harm me. Sure. And like, I can't afford to be wrong about that. Right. Yeah. And where are the good ones when the bad ones are, if we're going to buy this theory, where are the good ones when the bad ones are acting? Exactly. Right. right? And so like, when you talk about somebody getting fucking decapitated in your fucking town and there's like, well, not all of you are going to do that. Okay. But some of you are willing to, and the rest of you are, are fine to stand by and let it happen. Yeah, or at least you've you've tolerated this ideology long enough that right. you know that this could have gotten to this point, right? I mean, an inviter, you know, even at the time, like when the Klan's marching down the street, when by the way, none of the people that uh, the public housing office moved into this housing stay; they all left within a month. Um, they were not able to desegregate the housing inviter. Public uh, the uh, housing department told them when the two women complained about you know how they're being treated when they went out they told them well just don't go out by yourself you know just don't be alone and it's like good advice thanks sure but you know at the time you know when this is what the public housing authority is telling you uh, at the time they were saying oh not everybody inviter is racist it's like oh good where are the where are all the non-racist vidarians when the clan are out in the street <laughs> yeah you know why aren't they out there fighting them it's because they're know? the ones marching. It's literally, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like you don't have to be in the clan to just tolerate the clan, right? Right, right. And like, I think that a lot of people, you know, um, like most people that I've run into in my life are, you know, uh, most of the racism that I've encountered in my life has been the very, uh, the very socially acceptable uh, uh, kind of racism, where you know people can. People are able to be race, racist under the guise of being helpful. And uh, and so a lot of the time, people don't consider that sort of thing racist, right? What people think is racist is screaming slurs and committing hate crimes. That's mm-hmm. what people consider racist. Uh, and so when you say something like, well, not all of us are racist, we're just like, well, not all, maybe not all of you are that kind of racist, <laughs> but all of you are certainly racist and especially if your advice to me is to not be out after a certain after a certain time if your advice to me is to not be alone then putting the onus on me as a potential victim as a potential fucking headline in the newspaper you putting the onus mm-hmm. on me to not get murdered or or an otherwise uh, uh persecuted I mean, that's just another kind of racism. And if it's not, if you're not racist, then racism has definitely put you in a position to where you would say something like that. You know, it's interesting. Uh, obviously, you're, I feel like you're absolutely correct. But it's interesting you, you say that because the other half, that was only half of the quote from the mayor that I gave, like saying the vast majority of the citizens aren't racist. Because he actually followed it up, the mayor saying, 
we'd welcome anybody here who is a good, solid citizen. Yeah. Which, which we, which especially just a very, that's uh, coded language. That, that's, 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 that's what I was going to say. Like, especially just us growing up in Texas, that's good old boy talk. Yeah. For, cause like, just to, like, just to add that caveat, like, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're good. As long as you're just a good, solid citizen boy. Like we, that, that is just that alone. Once yeah. again, lets me know like, oh no, this is, yeah, this is a horrible place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, Viders described in the Texas Monthly article as, you know, it used to be a, a very racist town, but now it's just a place where people go to escape the problems of the big city. And by, of course, the big city, they mean Beaumont. And what do you suspect the problem that they were, quote unquote, escaping was in Beaumont? You too know, many goddamn blacks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the power grid was still functional in '93. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the salad days of uh, electricity. Yeah, yeah. Texas, yeah. And so We're... I, I think it's maybe worth talking a, a little bit about the history of Sundown Towns. You know, just giving a little fast uh, kind of introduction of it, which was the United States, uh, more so than today, used to be a lot more integrated. All right, uh, we've actually gone backwards in that sense right so after you know during and after the civil war there was actually a mass migration of black residents from the south as well as black residents from all over the united states to places you know all over the country to small towns far and wide right which you can see in the census data and after reconstruction is ended right uh when the republican party essentially signs over reconstruction in exchange for getting uh hayes elected president and the tilden hayes uh, election of 1876 uh we get the creation of the sundown town this is sort of the beginning of the sundown town and what happens is is what you see is a much more integrated america all of a sudden become a much more white america as towns all over the country over the next 50 years violently expel their black populations right and it's done in this way that will be very reminiscent to people familiar with i don't know israel's expulsion you know expelling of the palestinians from gaza the nazi expelling of people from eastern europe uh in that they run black residents out of town and then a lot of times just move right into their fucking houses right after they move right after they do this and there was a book by james lowing called sundown towns which as far as I can tell, is the only like actual study of this phenomenon in America. And from his research, he counts at least 10,000 sundown towns in the United States. Uh, in Illinois alone, he says that 500 sundown towns were created in this time, right? Meaning two thirds of all the towns in Illinois were sundown towns and effectively had no black residents by 1950. Uh, it really was a mass phenomenon that happened all over the country to essentially resegregate the country along racial lines in order to defeat what was, you know, a project uh, under reconstruction of greater racial equity and return to a, you know, sort of system of white supremacy. And it's, it's worth noting this because I don't want anybody in Washington to get the idea that this is a, oh, those funny people in Texas. This is just a Texas uh, phenomenon. Us backwood hicks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because there is, you know, in Washington itself, uh, there are many sundown towns that continue to have an effect today. 
Uh, Richland, Washington, and the Tri-Cities is exactly one of these types of places. Um, built by the federal government for the atomic bomb project, Richland explicitly uh, would not allow black residents to live there. Um, and to this day, Richland, Washington is 70 years. So Richard, for those not from the state of Washington, uh, Richland's part of what's called the Tri-Cities with uh, Pasco and Kennewick. And basically, uh, these are not three cities. This is one city that has three different governments, right? They totally bleed into each other. If you drove through it, you wouldn't know the difference between them, right? And Richland's population is 78% white. Kennewick's population, 65% white. And then mysteriously, Pasco's population is only 38% white, right? Showing the extent to which they were able to actually maintain this sort of segregation long term uh, in this area, right? And it is a mass phenomenon, I guess is what I'm trying to get across here, uh, maintained through all sorts of measures that we can talk about. Yeah, I, uh, that's was kind of the, um, I guess, sort of the genesis of when I suggested to Brian about um, doing an episode on sundown towns uh, in Texas in particular is because uh, it was uh, – from watching um, Lovecraft Country on the uh, HBO, yeah, yeah, oh and, yeah, uh, and so, but uh, my partner, she, well, she's black, and then she, but she grew up in in Southern California, so like just pr- pretty much like in LA, right? And so um, that I think first or second episode where they're, I think yeah. it's in Illinois too, right, where they're crossing through, or like the Green Book and all that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, she was truly like because i was like oh yeah man sundown towns was crazy and she like legit thought that was a thing of the past and that's mm-hmm. where i was like oh no you've never heard of jasper or vider i mean which yeah i mean well yeah. i mean and, yeah of course she thought it was a thing of the past because that's what we're taught right and, absolutely like, absolutely cause, like because yeah. everybody thinks we're in this like post-racial society where racism and that's what like like when you talk to like old people right and like your grand your your old white grandma says something racist and then the dismissive thing that everyone says is like oh well she's from a different time like racism has a like a cutoff date yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, best before uh, yeah 1965 yeah. or something yeah. yeah and so like and so people think that's the thing of the past and, but like uh, but again like they think that's a thing of the past because that's what we're taught and we're taught that we're in this post-racial society which is why like a lot of like all of us went through you know went through the public schooling system never hearing the word sundown town a single time right mm-hmm. yeah like case in point yeah uh, my yeah partner, yeah yeah and so like but it's 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 because like there are a couple of things. There are a couple of times where uh, where an HBO show uh, highlighted a grotesquely racist event in in our our country's history. Uh, for, you know, Watchmen did the Tulsa massacre, and uh, right. and then Lovecraft Country uh, highlighted the 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 existence of sundown towns. Um, I remember watching that with my wife. Uh, both of us are black, and. Um, there was just this like i think that a lot of people who aren't white would have watched them being chased out of the sundown town trying to desperately get out of the sundown town and saw it as something of just well this is a very tense and and an action-packed sequence of events that they're going through because they're shooting and there's fighting and then you know but like my wife and i are looking at this and we're just like we're like, like my wife was like on the urge of a fucking panic attack watching this. 
and I was feeling very tensed up too. And like it, like, like watching this, like actively soured my mood because it's just like, like seeing, like seeing that shit like played out and watching these black people trying to escape this town while these three white people, one of them, a fucking cop (laughs) are chasing these, uh, are chasing these people out of this town for no reason other than the fact that they are black and it's just it is it is the most horrifying thing and it is single like this this show also has like supernatural monsters and shit in it but like the fact (laughs) that's the the real monsters yeah yeah but like that's that was the most terrifying aspect of that entire show to me was watching like hoping like i don't know if these people are gonna make it out alive Mm-hmm. And the idea of running for my life, like as someone who has had violence visited upon me because I was because that I'm black, seeing something like that is it's terrifying. And so, like Chewy, your partner being raised in Southern California, which, by the way, California being one of those places where you know, like especially in Southern California, like everything is post-racial. Racism doesn't exist. If you're gonna find racism in California, it's gonna be in Northern California, right? But yeah, I mean they're not wrong, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but it's not true, yeah. and but we're being taught that it is, and so that's why she is surprised to find that it's something that existed. Like, when did that show take place in like the sixties? Like before, she's before, like, yeah, yeah, I think it's even before. before. Yeah, yeah, it's but like the sixties or fifties. So. Yeah, but like being surprised to find something like that as recent as the fifties or sixties, and. Uh, it only sh- it only kind of underscores the fact that like these are things that are being hidden from us um, mm-hmm. because Absolutely. we live in a majority white country and it is revisiting that 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 shadow of this country's past is uncomfortable for white people and so we go so us being people who have been put through the public school system we have these facts omitted right like we barely learn about slavery in public schooling. Uh, so naturally we're not going to learn about any sort of 20th century racism. And if we do learn about 20th century racism, it's only going so far as to acknowledge that Dr. Martin Luther King existed and he gave a speech one time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And he fixed all the problems uh, <laughs> involving yeah. racism. If, yeah. if you're lucky, you'll get a very heavily, uh, redacted <laughs> speech from him. <laughs> yeah all the stuff about income inequality uh tastefully removed doesn't matter doesn't matter we're, we're friends with white people now that's the point yeah so well interestingly i mean so in lovecraft country when they talk about the the guidebook or whatever that his uncle i believe is uh doing research for when they go to this town you know i mean that's a real thing and the reason for its existence was the actual prevalence of uh, sundown towns and what's called deadlining, which is, you know, counties and larger areas that you're just not even allowed to go into. And you have to know these things because in that town, it's presumably okay during the day for them to drive through the town, but to stop and even worse, go in a place of business. That's not okay. And because of these rules, right. That could get you, you know, killed. You have to have a literal guidebook to tell you like what to do, right? Because it's yeah. so complicated, complicated, and so prevalent. Um, you know, L.A. I mean, it, you know, for your girlfriend to say, uh, 
you know, be in LA and be like, oh, what is this? Every single suburb of LA was a sundown town. You know, LA, I mean, one of the most famously exclusionary uh, places in the country, but agreed, uh, you know, that's not something she would have ever learned like in school or anything like that. But were she to go and ask if she has any relatives that own a house in LA or anything like that, a house that's older than say 20 years old, uh, if she were to go ask to look at the original deeds and covenants that came with it, which as a homeowner, a lot of times you have or can request, uh, she'll find that in the covenant, if it was written any time between 1890 and about 1948, I believe is when they finally outlawed it, uh, it'll have a special section that tells you who you can sell your house to. And they'll have all sorts of restrictions depending on the area. It might say you cannot sell to Jews. Uh, depending on the area, again, maybe you can't sell to Native Americans, Mexicans, Chinese, etc. But one that will always be in there will be that you can't sell to black people. And that is a legally binding agreement that was standard in all home purchases up to 1948, basically making it to where legally you could not sell your house to a black person. Your neighbors could take you to court and have your house taken away if you tried to do that. God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody who's got a, a family who lives in an old house, ask to see uh, the covenant that came, <laughs> the original covenant that came with yeah. it. Go read it. It's a fun activity. Uh, we'll put in the show notes. The University of Washington actually has a uh, archive of racial covenants from the Seattle area. You can go look at and read to. And we'll put that in the show notes for people that are interested. Sweet. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're talking about you know. We're talking about like you know white people going into these towns, right, and like forcing black people out of them, and then just taking over the towns, right? But then I th- I think, but like I also think about like in the towns that they couldn't force black people out of, and the towns that mm-hmm. they couldn't take, they just burned, right? Yeah. Or in the and or in the like with like with the aforementioned Tulsa massacre of uh, 1921, like. Like they just burn the town, right? Like you, there's a, a a town of affluent black people who were successful, and they just couldn't fucking stand it, right? Mm-hmm. And they just they couldn't stand it. They couldn't they they wouldn't hear of it. So they just they they moved on the town, and they they killed most everyone there, right? But then I think about uh, the Lake Lanier in Georgia, where they were like, well, we're not gonna we're and we can't get these black people out of the town. So what we're gonna do is we're just gonna flood the town. Mm-hmm. And that town is still fucking down there, and mm-hmm. and it's just the, the the idea, right? That we, I think, as far back as you know, as few hundred years when we were first brought to this country, and it's just so insidious to me, right? That like we we were brought here in chains. And we are forced to live. There are people like that's that one of the things that like I, I, I always have hated is July 4th because like we think about the Declaration of Independence where all men were created equal, right? All men but black men, right? And we like even as that Declaration of Independence is signed, most of these guys signing this piece of paper own slaves. And in, in July 4th, 1776, people would be – there would be people who were born, would live their lives, and die as slaves. And so when I think about – when I think about that, and then I – and then I, we fast forward to now where we're – like everything in between those two points is where we're brought here in chains. We're given our freedom, 
which you know we should have had to begin with, but they they deigned to give us our freedom. But did they really? Right? Because then we like even if we're not in chains in the literal sense figuratively we're still there because we have we have all these rules that govern can we own property who can we marry what jobs are we allowed to hold how much money are we allowed to make right mm-hmm. and then like where are we allowed to live and yep. so like it it all seems like the whole these all these systems were put in place because like well if i can't keep you as a slave i'm going to keep you from making anything of yourself as 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 much as hard as i can i will fight tooth and nail to keep you from being able to make any sort of real life for yourself and if you dare try i swear i will burn your house down yeah when i think uh you know the the point about slavery is well taken because the interesting thing about slavery is that it's fundamentally a labor system right is a way to extract value through labor right it has its own rules its logic etc and it was a labor system that has to be developed. It's not unconscious, right? You have to think about it. You have to create legal structures and all that kind of stuff. And in sort of pre-revolutionary America, you see exactly that. You see an escalating series of legal decisions and laws that get put onto the books in various colonies describing, you know, piece by piece who exactly is a slave. You know, it begins with religious designations that then evolve into racial designations right and what they're essentially doing is they're trying to encode this labor system onto essentially people's flesh right and what that legal sort of history tells you too is that people had to be taught these things right so it was not inherently obvious to white people in the colonies that just because somebody's black you should be able to own them for life and work them as hard as you want you know yeah you have to create a legal structure that informs them of this part of that legal structure being if you're white you're not allowed to marry a black person right if you're uh after the uh slave rebellions in virginia in 1800 and 1802 Virginia passes very strict uh, segregation laws saying that if you're white, you're no longer allowed to live next to black people. Right. And they actually resegregate the the entire state. Right. You know, they resegregate all the urban housing in the state. Um, And it shows that there is a conscious motive behind this. Right. Again, I think this uh, people are, you know, oh, it's like victims of history. All their people of their time or whatever really lets those in charge off the hook from that time yeah they make conscious decisions to do these things they make yeah. conscious decisions to segregate neighborhoods they make conscious decisions to separate people and an effort to promote an ideology that was just so happened to be extremely profitable for a large you know for a small group of people right yeah. and this is a group but like you think about how at any point they could have stopped it yeah. And and it it is a it is years and centuries of people consciously making the decision to continue doing it. Mm-hmm. And it took other it took another group of people to consciously make the decision to end it. And the, the idea that like the other the people who wanted to hold on to it wanted to hold on to it so badly that there was a war over it uh, mm-hmm. is insane. Yeah, and I mean, this is the importance of sort of bringing up the rise of sundown towns is coming with the defeat of Reconstruction is that you have these important inflection points, right, where uh, 
the Civil War, it doesn't begin this way in the North, but it ends this way in the North, becomes a war about the liberation of Black folks, which creates a sort of revolutionary mindset in the people who fought the war, which is a large number of men from the North, right? Black and white alike. And they start to demand what is at the time revolutionary equality among the races. And in Reconstruction, so Du Bois, W.B. Du Bois, he refers to Reconstruction as the second American revolution for this exact reason. He says this was the real one. This was the one that came from below that demanded, you know, actual equality between, you know, men and stuff like that. And the rise of the sundown town with the defeat of Reconstruction is a conscious effort to not just defeat that revolutionary impulse, but to fucking bury it, to make sure that nobody ever thought that way again, to create a whole new structure of thinking for the average American, where equality is a long distant memory, hopefully that you so far back, you can't even remember it. Uh, An or an era of hierarchy, structure, inequality, right? And the sundown town fits right in there. And yeah, I mean, you know, if, people weren't willing to go along with the sort of, yeah, they'd be burned out of their homes. Uh, I believe in it's in Cicero, Illinois. Lowen talks about how they dynamited the homes of uh, black residents. Uh, sometimes the violence, you know, the, the ambient violence was so extreme. All they'd have to do is just go up and tell the black residents in town, you have this date and this time be gone by then. And yeah. the implication was enough. People left, you know, and essentially the whole country resegregated. Uh, Lowen, he he gives this theory. He says, you know, look, we're willing to talk about things like lynching, right? Because lynching effectively ended in the 1950s. Not to say that black people weren't murdered for being black or anything. But no longer did whole towns come out and gather to watch the execution as a celebratory event in the town square, right? You know, that sort of public style, like it became shameful by then. And so we're willing to talk about that. But the reason we're not willing to talk about sundown towns and the segregation of whole populations and housing and things like that is that it never actually ended. So you can't really talk about it. Right. You know, there's no triumphalist narrative to give because all the towns are still segregated. Yeah. And I mean, you could see that anywhere. Right. And there's like and sometimes I think that like depending on like where you are, you can kind of see the line. Like there's like almost like there's almost a literal line that you can see in like, and mm-hmm. major in like major cities. You can like from one side of the street looks like this and the other side of the street looks like that. And you can tell who was me being made to live where just by looking at it. Um, and it continues because, and it's, and it, it continues in such a way that people will like my, my mother is a, uh, is a, a real estate agent and you know some uh, a couple of times i've gone out uh she's like asked me for help with uh with putting up signs or whatever and i'd gone out with her and i would see you know i would see what part of town um i would see different parts of town and look at like how how like how they were maintained and you know as compared to other parts of the town and I would look at, I would, I would usually take a look around at like what kind of people were out and about walking around. And it was always very clear to me that 
although uh, San Antonio is a predominantly Hispanic city, um, the parts of San Antonio that are predominantly white do look markedly different. Um, mm-hmm. And so I could always kind of tell, like, one, what kind of town I was in, and two, like, what the property values were in that part of the city, because people will pay more to live in a predominantly white area. Yeah, and the property values thing is important because what's going to happen is as sundown towns fade away as an a, a official phenomenon endorsed by the towns, uh, they're essentially replaced with a sort of unofficial rule of segregation after World War II, which is the FHA's practice of redlining, right? So the Federal Housing Administration begins giving federally subsidized loans, but those loans they specifically in their documentation say they'll only give to housing that's in white areas, right? Essentially cutting off black families from one getting essential, what what basically became free housing that they just handed to people. Well, you're black. Don't bother applying because you're moving in there already means that the loan can't be underwritten. Right. So only 2% of black families receive any FHA loans after, you know, 1945, the other thing they do is they connect, you know, very explicitly, both in people's minds and in reality, just in the housing market itself, they make a connection between home values and race. So if you can get FHA loans in a neighborhood that's, that is white, but you can't get a neighbor that's black, well, one neighborhood, its housing values are going to go up because now it's extremely desirable. The other neighborhood, the housing values are going to go down, right? And so they are in the one way that Americans are actually able to generate any amount of wealth, which is just in their housing value. They essentially create a system of racial segregation and the creation of that wealth. Um, yeah, and, you know, honestly, I it's some, it's one of those things, right, that's like it never sounds like news to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It never sounds like I just learned something new because like, that's just how it's been my entire life. You know, uh, maybe I didn't always have the words or the names to put to it, but it always, that had always been the case. It was always one of those things that just went without saying where yeah. if, if you live in a certain place, if you if you paid a certain amount for your home, the, the likelihood that there are any black people or, or any non-white people around you is significantly less. And it, it's because of things like that where it is still noteworthy that you see a black family where the where the income is over a certain amount, where the annual where the annual uh, earnings are over a certain amount, and the amount that they paid for their house is over a certain amount. Because, like, we haven't like within our parents' lifetimes, within our lifetimes, we haven't always been afforded the opportunity to own high dollar homes because people. Because we drove down property value, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea that that's something that not only had been the case before, but is something that continues to persist, and if nothing else has actually gotten worse, uh, it it just makes me think that that's one of these. It's one of those things about racism in this country that I think will never go away. Uh, because I think that as long as black people and other non-white people are considered others, um, 
it will just stay that way. And we will never be, uh, quote unquote, in vogue. Uh, will never be good to have black people in your community unless you're one of those people who was very performatively being an ally and needs that black friend to use in your arguments on the internet. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, it, and I think it's worth noting to the sort of structural ways in which they, the state is able to create an investment in racism too. Um, you know, starting in the, in the sixties and seventies, uh, there's some moves at housing integration. And what you see is a lot of times, you know, even riots from white homeowners. And a lot of times what their grievance will be, there's a very famous one in Canarsie, uh, which is in Brooklyn, a neighborhood in Brooklyn, uh, where white homeowners, primarily Italians, go figure, uh, would, uh, you know, rioted because the black families were moving in. And the thing that they bring up over and over again, you know, isn't necessarily like, oh, I don't want black people living next to me. Although sometimes they definitely say that. What they start talking about over and over again is my my home value, my home value. What's this going to do to my home value, right? Yeah. And so even in a world where, uh, you know, good white liberals put the sign out in their front yard that says, in this house we believe or whatever, right? I don't know if you guys have those in Texas. They're fucking everywhere here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I've yeah. seen them. <laughs> in Seattle, there's a direct relationship between the amount of those signs and the lack of any uh, like people of color that live in that neighborhood, right? Like, sure. the, the less amount of people of color, the more of those signs you see. And at not at no point have any of those people asked themselves or thought to themselves, like, I wonder if the insane uh, property values, which you know I'm reaping the benefit of, although having done none of the work myself. Uh, I wonder if that has something to do with the fact that uh, this neighborhood's ninety nine percent white. You know? Yeah. Well, like think about this. Like, what is the okay? So I think, and and I will not fault anyone for this because this is a construct that we've been fed forever, right? But think about this: when someone says the when someone utters the phrase "inner city youths," mm -hmm. what color is the person that comes into your head? Right. Yeah, and I mean, or the bad side of town would be the other yeah. one. You know, when somebody says, oh, that's the bad side of town, you know what they fucking mean. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and so, ahead. like, we, we have, like, so we 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 talk about, like, we talk about uh, uh, towns and cities that have a lot of gang activity. And whenever whenever you hear gang activity, you think black people or you think you think you think Latinos, you think one of the two. It's mm -hmm. never like because you're never going to it's it's just always how it's been portrayed. Like you got movies and music and video games have always portrayed it that way. And these are the but these I think that art always draws from real life 100 percent of the time in some way it draws from real life. And people the tool that people have used is. A tool that people have used with those things is just kind of the narrative that we've always been fed about about certain uh, certain parts of town or certain cities in the country is that if a city is poor, if a city has a lot of crime, then a lot of black people live there. A lot of Hispanics live there because that's just how it's always been portrayed. And 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 the and the white people have always been portrayed as the saviors of these people. Like think about all these movies where like think about fucking Dangerous Minds starring Michelle Pfeiffer, right? She's a white <laughs> teacher who went to the inner city school and showed all these black and brown kids that there was another way and that they didn't have to be 
delinquents and hoodlums and ruffians because a white woman came and showed them the way to do things differently because what has been told to us is that we are not capable of do of learning those things on our own uh if left to our own devices I guess what we're gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna shoot each other and steal car stereos until until we're wiped out. That's the narrative that's been fed to us, unless a white person comes and intervenes. And so when we think about these places where, if we say like this is an affluent neighborhood, then you're gonna think that a bunch of white people live there. And mm-hmm. odds are you're probably gonna be right because the fact of the matter is, is that we're typically not allowed to buy homes over in in these places. And yes, it's 2021 and people say, yes, we live in a post-racial society where black people have all the rights as white people. What we have is we have the concept of rights that white, pe- that white people have. We have the idea of rights that white people have, but we don't have those rights. Like mm-hmm. a, few, a, a couple of years ago, right, I started – I talked to my wife about – I was like, you know what? I'm With everything that's going on. I'm thinking about buying a gun to have in the house to protect us in case someone tries to do in some in case someone tries to harm us. And my wife said, "Don't do that." And it wasn't because she's against the idea of owning a gun. She said, "Don't do that because it, just by owning a gun, I'm putting myself at risk by a reprisal from the police." Because she told me, and this is something that I'd never heard anyone say before, but she told me that Second Amendment rights don't exist to us. Mm-hmm. Because you think about those times when you like Philando Castile, right? Registered legal gun owner gunned down in his car in front of his girlfriend and his kid. He told the fucking cop that he had a gun and he was killed anyway for having the gun. So if somebody tells you that a cop shot this black person because they were afraid, because they thought they had a gun, then black people don't have the right to own guns. Mm-hmm. And that's just among the many rights that we don't share. We don't have the rights to we don't we don't get the rights to the healthcare that white people get. We don't get the rights to education that white people get. We had to build our own fucking colleges so that we can be educated in the same way that white people are. Yeah. We had to and so that so when we think about all these rights that people have as far as housing, we are still not afforded those rights and we are still relegated to the projects, so it's so to speak, or the inner city or or any sort of low-income housing that the government deigns to give us because, you know, they are helping us and they are our saviors. And which is why when I think about the basic things like having a place to live and the right to the, all the things that people were supposedly promised in the Declaration of Independence and how it continues to elude us, the more I think about how we don't have access to the basic things like the same kind of housing that pe- that white people have is all the evidence that is more than the evidence that I need to know that we are not in a post-racial society. And in fact, it's a lot easier to highlight the racism in this country, a lot easier to highlight the racism in our communities because of the advancement of the internet. And so we're not any more racist than we, we're not, we're not looking for racism. That's a lot of the a thing, a thing that people say to me a lot is Ryan, if you continue to look for racism, you're going to find it. Which one, okay, I guess I can see that's true. But at the same time, as a black man, I've never needed to look for racism. It has always found its way to me. And also, it will continue to do so. Doesn't that statement just admit that it's there? Yeah, absolutely. It admits <laughs> like people always say if you look for a problem, you're going to find it. Well, why would I be looking for problems if I'm not trying to find them? Yeah. Right? So, well, but hey, guys, not all of the citizens in Viter are racist. 
Just, just remember that. Just, just remember, guys. Just remember. Not all of them. Not all. Well, all, well you're all going to take heart. What I, and I think, you know, what I meant by this sort of investment that uh, things, something as simple as like housing values, the investment that that puts in racism for people is that a lot of people who would say that say, oh, oh I'm a good person. I've never shouted the N word at anybody. Uh, when I yell my Kanye lyrics, I do a little mute right there, right? You know? I, I hum that <laughs> and, part. Yeah, I hum that part, right? And, you know, uh, maybe in their practice, uh, you know, if they, if they have their one black friend or whatever, uh, they are genuinely nice to them or whatever, right? But, but what happens when, I don't know, a suggestion of public housing being put up near their neighborhood comes up? Oh, no, fuck that. You know, what yeah. happens uh, when the suggestion of a house in their neighborhood being turned into a rental? Oh, definitely fuck that, you know? And again, it's their financial interest is tied to the system of racial segregation. And people have this weird way of overlooking their quote unquote values once their financial situation gets involved, right? Yeah. And it's an important structural element for uh, maintaining the system. I mean, school segregation was based on this too. You know, a lot of white families, you know, who uh, probably said all the right things at the dinner table and all that shit uh, didn't want their schools to be desegregated because they inherently knew from experience, from having lived in this country long enough, they whether they knew it, you know, whether they could explain this to you or not, they knew that the introduction of black students into their school would mean a reduction in the funding to that school, a reduction in the, you know, sort of quality and maintenance of the school and things like that, because these things are tied together, you know, formally in this country. Um, in the Boston busing crisis, for all the racist statements that people said, they brought this up repeatedly that like oh they're trying to make our school as bad as you know roxbury which is the black school and it's like yeah kind of in a way you know <laughs> i mean like that is what's gonna you you are right about that like like the state disinvests from the black community the second the black community shows up you know and that's not to excuse any of these fucking you know assholes in fucking boston or anything like that but it is to say Racism is not an attitude based on manners. It's an yeah. attitude based on structural incentives and signaling, right? That is created by people, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that has to be addressed in all these cases. Are you not getting anywhere? Yeah. Um, and I think that racism, one of the things is that it continues to be remain convenient for the for the people in power um, because it allows it's it's lucrative and it keeps mm -hmm. it keeps and it keeps them in they keeps them comfortable. Um, and, you know, it's very easy to like like I said before. When you're in a when you're in a position where something doesn't directly affect you, it's very easy to be driven to do only the bare minimum, right? And the bare minimum in our and contemporarily speaking, the bare minimum is saying like, "Hey, you know, happy Martin Luther King Day," and uh, you know, and and that's about it, right? But like, no, there's never any, uh, there's not really ever any actionable items that have been that are usually introduced, at least not by white people that I've ever met. And it's always been something like, well, um, you know, black lives matter and I'm going to black out my picture today 
uh, just to show that I support that. Who gives a fuck if your picture is blacked out, dude? <laughs> like, absolutely no one gives a fuck about that. And, you know, and so that's why, like I said uh, at the top of the conversation, when someone does something as meaningful as actually going out and protesting uh, in the name of something like that, that is something that is more meaningful and impactful. Do I think that I need white people to come and save me? No, I do not. But one thing that I've learned in my 36 years on this planet is that white people will only listen to other white people. <laughs> and so if you have you have all of you have black people saying black lives matter and we continue to get shot in the fucking streets. We have you have people saying black lives matter and we continue getting murdered in our goddamn homes every single day. And so when it comes to when it comes to us saying it, then the response is, well, all lives matter. Right. But when you but so you have a you have a white person saying like, hey, actually, fellow whites, uh, black lives do matter. And so I'm going to show you how then you get more. So you get more support that way. I hate the white savior narrative. But at the same time, I recognize the utility of having a white person who can be a mouthpiece for your movement. Mm. Um and I hate that it has to be that way. I hate the idea of having to to to. I hate the idea that Black Lives Matter needs to exist in the first place. Um, but I also I also can't stand the idea that in order for it to be heard and gain any momentum, and it's in a place where uh, uh, Black people have historically been subjugated to massive amounts of violence, is by listening to a black to listen to a white person. And because the fact of the matter is, is that we've been saying this long since before the Black Lives Matter movement even happened. Like name a black person but prior to this century that you've met who's also seen cops and got immediately nervous because we know how cops treat us. We know how mm -hmm. white people treat us. And, we, and we've known that for a long time. The only reason the Black Lives Matter movement came about is because this shit came to a head because it yeah. got to the point where – like, look, you guys are killing us and it's like out of control. Like and and Black Lives Matter doesn't doesn't just extend to us being murdered. It also it also extends to our livelihoods being taken away, getting sent getting sent up the river for 40 fucking years for pot possession. Yeah. You know? And like getting your just having your whole life erased because you 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 wanted to get high for a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. And 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 the and what makes it even worse is you have we have magazines and we have news outlets who are pr promoting white owners of dispensaries like they're fucking entrepreneurs. Whereas whereas I have where I have cousins and 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 who have been in prison. Because they they thought, like, you know, I'm gonna have a little weed on me. Right. Yeah. And so the idea that this isn't something that needs to be addressed and the idea that racism has gone away or is in any way diminished is is just ridiculous to me right racism has not diminished at all it's just evolved with the times mm. it's it's made it easier it's easier to be it's easier to be racist now and organize racism than it has ever been that when the when the clan started they didn't have fucking facebook to organize their fucking rallies right but now they do and now they can do it in in plain sight and mm -hmm. and these platforms will protect them they will continue to like you can't say white people have you can't criticize white people openly on the internet uh because whatever platform you're doing it on will come down on you and so these people are protected and it's really easy for them to continue to do it yeah and i, I think it's important to know i mean uh Liberals especially will sort of hold up the law and stuff like this, like it's a talisman or a magic spell. 
yeah. uh, completely forgetting the concepts of power and interest and things Absolutely. like that. And, you know, just happening right now, um, you know, in Florida, Black Lives Matter protests essentially uh, prompted a law to be passed statewide saying that if protesters get on the highway, you can like yep. run them over with your cars and shit like that. It's legal. That- but, but hilariously, the CIA sponsored uh, SOS Cuba protest uh, that was in Miami recently and got on the highway the mayor of Miami came out and the governor of Florida came out and basically both said, oh, yeah, that law suspended for these people. And it's like, oh, interesting. Yeah. So yeah. if I want to do a right wing protest, I can do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> but if yeah. I want to do- And that's well, true everywhere. Yeah. And that's exactly the kind of shit that I'm talking about, though. Right. Is that and I I remember the moment I read that headline, like my I just felt like I just felt this like anger like through my entire body because the idea that people would be so fucking brazen as to go out and protest and demand that people pay attention to uh, an issue that has gone on since the founding since before the founding of this country and someone that doesn't show any signs of slowing the idea that we would go out and say hey like enough is enough and you guys need to pay attention to this is so is worth is worthy of saying, hey, you know what? These people get in your way when they're doing the little the little protest. Feel free to run them over. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And and so, what are we like? How are we supposed to feel when we know that the, that a government response to actually speaking up for ourselves is met with sanctioned violence mm-hmm. and continues to be? And nobody ever stops to think that. Well, you know what? Maybe what is legal and what is right aren't always the same thing. <laughs> yeah. You'd think people in this country, I mean, you know, the most cursory examination of this country's history would seem to indicate that to people. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, look, the Nazis were a very legalist society. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and all sorts of laws. That doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's, it's this interesting point. And I mean, not to, you know, I don't want to let, uh, anybody you know of course they i might mention that thing about florida and they say oh of course florida so i want to let anybody off the hook in seattle uh on trump's inauguration yilo milo yiannopoulos uh luckily for long forgotten weirdo uh (laughs) was giving us a talk at the university of washington during trump's inauguration of course there was you know, protests on both sides, right? MAGA chuds and then like left protests with like Antifa and stuff like that. Yeah. And a MAGA chud shot somebody on the campus, was then escorted off by the university police department, who then helped him concoct an alibi, which he fed to the press, which of course became the story until a day later when the actual video came out. It turned out to all be a lie. Um, but the university president, in her, you know, when people said, like, this is why we told you not to let this guy speak on campus, that this would happen, that you're letting, you know, armed fucking assholes on campus are going to shoot somebody. Uh, the university president's response to that actually happening after claiming that it wouldn't was to then blame Antifa for it. Right. Yeah. And so those things of like, well, who shot who in this case? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. But that all goes out the window, right? Because when it comes to things like policing and stuff like that, it is always a question of power and interest, right? And yeah. 
And yeah, it's it'll essentially always be blamed on the left. I mean, and in the case of you brought this, I just want to bring back to a point that you brought up earlier, Ryan. I mean, the persistence of racism a lot of times can be very easily explained in the sense that it's profitable. Yeah. There's a large black population that you can use for low wage labor, even in cases when they work next to white people, you don't got to pay them as much. That's all savings for you, you know? Uh, And they also represent a, you know, a don't be this scenario, right? Like a, a warning, right? They, they, they exist in the same way that like the homeless are used. Is there a constant warning to everybody else of don't let this be you? Right. Our society is willing to do this to them. What do you think we'll do to you if you step out of line? Right. And so they're disciplinary in another way as well. Right. And, you know, it's if there was not a structural interest in maintaining racism against black people, they wouldn't do it. And we know this because the United States has been racist against all sorts of people like the the definition of what is white in America has changed radically over time. And the reason it's changed is they lost interest in caring about what uh, Lombardians were up to or the Gallic menace, you know, they didn't care about that shit anymore, but they do care about black people and keeping black people down. And that is rooted in slavery and that is rooted in profits that continue to this day to roll in. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, a lot of it can be you can look at it as you know like how like there's I, there's no fucking way that i'm going to lose my slaves and let them prosper there's mm. no way that's not happening <laughs> and i remember when uh when barack obama got elected back in 08 and i was telling my wife about this the other day when barack obama got elected in 08 and i was like i was eating gas the day uh the day before inauguration day and this white guy saw me at the gas station. And he just looks at me and he's like, "You're you, congratulations, you won." And I was, <laughs> yeah, and I was thanks, like, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for putting yeah. Obama in. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I, I like me and my fucking awesome campaign. Yeah. Uh, like and like, I was like, "What are you talking about? I won," because like the i like just the idea of some of somebody being so upset about a black president right and people will say well, like well how can america be racist we had a black president for eight years and it's like well how many black presidents did we have before that and how many <laughs> black presidents will we have after that right and like and if we're not racist how did donald trump get elected yeah <laughs> like how did that happen right if america isn't racist how did he get elected and how was he allowed to say and do the shit that he was allowed to say? And I think people will say, well, you know, Ryan, it's easy to point out Donald Trump because it's because he's the guy that, you know, that that everybody had been talking about. And like, yeah, it is easy because he was a fucking racist who got elected to the highest office in the country. And the the way the reason that's different to me is because, yes, I am fully aware that previous white presidents were also racist. Right. But what's different to me is that in in a country where we're supposed to be post-racial and shit he was allowed to be publicly racist yeah publicly racist and he still got elected yeah i mean and it was followed up by the guy who literally created the prison industrial complex i mean it's yeah you know it's it's hard to make an argument that like big things have changed and i remember i mean speaking to the sort of the idea of the sort of ambient ambient racist violence in the united states i remember in 2008 I was sitting with a group of Chicago uh, high school teachers who were predominantly black. 
And also, I must say, predominantly not Democrats, predominantly like communists and things like that. <laughs> and we were talking about Obama and I was sort of asking them, I was like, you know, what do people in Chicago like make of this guy? There was a, a scandal that had just come out about how like Obama's house had been purchased for him by some fucking, you know, whatever in Chicago. Um, and I was actually like, you know, what do they make of this? And I just were all of them like one of them said, uh, you know, if he gets elected president, they're just going to kill him. And I and like all were in agreement, like he's like 100 percent going to be assassinated in the first, you know, six months or whatever. Yeah. And this is one of those things of none of these people thought Obama was they didn't think he was a, a chairman Mao come to uh, bring the cultural revolution to America. Like, you know, none of them thought he was a particularly radical figure. Yeah. But their just experience with racism in America was enough to be like, oh, yeah, they're going to murder him. You know, well, yeah, like like most of <laughs> like a lot of us thought that like they fucking yeah. shot Kennedy and yeah. like and he was just trying to he was in a very 1960s way. He was trying to be friends with the with with black people and they sh- and they shot that dude in the head. Yeah, he so, basically said, like, let's take the racism meter and bring it down just one notch. And yeah, let's, like, let's, no, let's no, to- tone it back. And then <laughs> yeah. he was like, no, death sentence. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so like the I like so if they did that to Kennedy, then what do you think they're going to do to an actual black president? Yeah. Uh, and so the idea and I think it's something that entered the minds and I, I can't speak for white people, obviously, but I can I can say with a lot of confidence that every black person in this country has thought about it at least once, has thought at least once that there's a chance that Barack Obama will be assassinated simply for the fact that he is a black president. Yeah. Um, yeah because I- why wouldn't you think that? Yeah, I mean, what what about our country's history would make you think that that wasn't a, an extreme possibility? I mean, you know, and I and, and I guess to speak to the structural irony is to sort of bring this whole Obama story to an end. You know, we're talking about here this fear of assassination due to racism of the first black president, right, who is rumored to be some sort of secret African or whatever fucking at the time. Like a sleeper cell. Yeah. yeah, sleeper cell, whatever, right? You know, by the way, all that shit was, you know, put out there by the Hillary Clinton campaign. So never fucking let those fuckers forget that shit. But anyways, yeah. that picture of him in fucking Indonesia, the Clinton campaign leaked. And then when they asked uh, Hillary Clinton on TV whether she thought that Barack Obama was a U.S. citizen, she just demurred and was like, oh, who knows anything about anybody, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, with all this stuff swirling around Obama, he still I mean, this shows you the power of the structure he oversaw the greatest destruction of black wealth over his eight years as president since the destruction of the Reconstruction Bank in the 1870s. I mean, an awful, like, for the material interests and needs of the black population, an awful president. Was that because yeah. he's black? Obviously not. It's because the investment, the structural investment in racism in this country is so high that even for Barack Obama, a guy who is black who had to in his own mind think maybe i'll get shot for this yeah when given the opportunity in like well you know i could help out the black population or i could get 300 300 million dollar netflix contract when i leave when i'm gonna hit the netflix contract racism button and did that you know and i mean I, i i think it shows that again this is more than about individual manners and opinions this is a structural problem in the united states yeah. very deeply rooted structural problem well I, you know i think that all of like i i don't know a black person who wasn't and in, in some way forced to comply with 
uh, or had to make a decision to comply with any sort of racial or racist system that they were presented with. And it was always, and it's always been a path of least resistance kind of thing because it's mm-hmm. it's the idea of the idea of you know trying to clash with something like that is uh, is it can be a scary thing. It can be scary to try yeah. to 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 buck the system that has held you under its thumb for your whole life. And if you want to speak proportionately to Barack Obama, right? I think it's like, and and this is and by the way, this I'm not excusing it, but mm-hmm. I can under, I can understand it. You know, the idea is like, well, you know, if I don't if I don't go along with this, shit's going to get really, really bad for me. These yeah. are gonna be re- things get really tough for me. And, you know, I got a wife. I got daughters to think about. You know, I, I should probably just go along with it. And, yeah. uh, you know, there, a lot of black people have done that for the like, just I just don't want to make things difficult for me and my black family. Yeah, I mean, he had he's, you know, he's especially not uh, sympathetic because his two options in front of him was, yeah, life will get a lot worse for me. And maybe I will definitely get shot, <laughs> probably yeah. by my own secret service. <laughs> uh, and his other option was receive huge amounts of money and, and go hang gliding with uh, Richard Branson or whatever. Whereas <laughs> to bring it back to the people of Viter who go into this, I mean, it's important to note that uh, the Department of Housing, uh, Public Housing, they basically didn't they went far and wide away from Viter to try and find people who didn't know anything about the town and essentially trick them into agreeing to move there. Because when they put an open request for people to come to Viter, everybody said no. Um, and they brought these people in and essentially just didn't tell them like, oh, hey, by the way, um, this is going to be really bad for you. And yeah. so these are regular people living their fucking lives. Right. And I think some of us, particularly when we're online, like to think, oh, well, if I were in that situation, I would be the hero in the movie who says, uh, fuck it. I, even though this is awful and people call me names and nobody will hire me and they're constantly saying they're going to kill me all the time, I'm going to stand up for what's right and and, and stick it out and, and do it and, buck th- and fuck them and all this kind of shit. But the reality is for the average person, like, who fucking wants to do that? You know? Yeah. Like... Oh, for the for the right to live in public housing, which I won't be able to pay my rent on very shortly because I can't find work. I also get to be abused every second of the fucking day and maybe even killed. Of course, they fucking left. You know, I mean, if you put yourself in the shoes like that's obviously the route you're going to take. And I mean, that's the origin of the sundown town. I mean, when they went to the black communities and said, like, you know. Most sundown towns were created without violence because the threat of violence was enough. The threat of, you know, getting fucked out of work and all that kind of stuff was enough that you would just leave, you know, because, yeah, I mean, this isn't a superhero movie. This is reality. What yeah. what we need in Viter is Michelle Pfeiffer to reprise yeah. her role uh, as, well, a, as the white savior teacher. Well, as imagine, a white savior teacher who stops them from being racist. Yeah, racism's over. Thanks, imagine, Thanks Michelle. Imagine if she had come into that town, uh, turned the chair around backwards and sat down and said, hey, guys, did you know that rap is really poetry? I actually changed everything. Oddly enough, I picture that all the time. So that's not a stretch (laughs) of the imagination. That that lives rent free in my head. That is a recurring dream. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, when we talk about like uh, structural racism and how it's reinforced through media depictions. So that movie is based off like an actual person who wrote some book, which I'm sure is also awful about being sure. a white teacher in a black neighborhood. I but, can guarantee you that book sucks. <laughs> but but in that person's defense, they were apparently were so mortified by all the decisions made on set 
uh, to like, you know, a have her wear a leather jacket. She's like, I dress like a normal human going to school. <laughs> uh, B to have her <laughs> apparently with in the movie. If you guys remember this, I know there's like a 30 year. I don't know why I remember all the details of a movie I saw one time 30 years ago. Because Coolio had that fucking fire single from the exactly, from the soundtrack. Exactly. That's exactly why. Yeah, but in the movie, she tells them, "Did you guys know rap is poetry?" And then proceeds to teach them about poetry and get them excited about it through Bob Dylan lyrics. Which apparently this teacher who had taught like at an actual like inner city school, river was like. Uh, that's the stupidest fucking thing. <laughs> like, what kid? Uh, uh, forget black. Like, what kid of any race wants to fucking talk about Bob Dylan? Like, who gives a shit? You fucking old fucks. And apparently, she was so disruptive on set, complaining about this shit, that they banned her from the set of the film. It's <laughs> based on her. Yeah. They also in the film imply that she slept with one of her students, which she says uh, absolutely did not happen. So I will throw that out in her defense as well. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. Why, in making that movie, did they decide to make these choices? Is it really a fundamental difference in the film to have the uh, to basically say, no, we're not going to have her teach poetry the way she did it. We're going to make it Bob Dylan lyrics. It's to appease a vision of the world, right? You know, and that vision of the world is white culture is good. The, the, those just, the reason why uh, black people are where they are is they just don't understand that yet. Their culture is just too uh, deteriorated or, you know, it just, it just hasn't reached our level. You know? Yeah. We need to bring them up to speed. That's like, uh, it's like those aliens who visit like ancient, like they visit earth, they visit earth a thousand years ago and they're like, we're going to, we're going to accelerate the advancement of mankind with our, with our uh, superior knowledge. Uh, <laughs> just apply it to white people. It's like, we're going to, we're going to civilize the black man in America by letting him know that, that his, his, uh, his very tribalistic rap music is actually, you know, what's poetry. poetry. <laughs> or even, I mean, to compare it to like contemporaries, I mean, imagine looking at like the lyrics of, you know, a uh, uh, Gil Scott Heron or uh, Curtis Mayfield and then being like, yeah, but Mr. Tambourine Man, you heard that? <laughs> yeah, that's what's really going down in the streets. That, that's the real narrative. <laughs> you know, I mean, just unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, one thing I, I often wonder, and this is something that I wonder like a lot, be just because of you know the um, the the what's the word? I don't know. Just because of the internet, I like I wonder a lot that. Like, because I see like white people online who often will poke fun of themselves for being white and uh, and doing you know white things, um, and then they will also engage with you know non-white people who are also making fun of white people who mm-hmm. do white things, and I often wonder like, when are they going to get to the point where they're done with us making fun of them, and when are <laughs> they going to the point where they're no longer cool with it? Uh, and I just I feel like and I don't know when that point's going to come. I'm only certain that eventually that it will where like one day there's going to be a white guy who's just like, well, hold on there, Buster. I've had just about enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think one day it's going to happen. And so like I, I I openly make fun of white people all the time. But I, I it's always in the back of my head like one day they're like one one day some white one day I'm one a white person that I know is going to snap. And get really pissed <laughs> off at me. 
the the you know i i found one of those inflection points and that is uh the the beatles just just tell anybody particularly if they're a boomer tell them uh the beatles suck and then just name any soundcloud rapper and be like they're better than the beatles <laughs> <laughs> and then play it like uh and then play it for them and be like that's better than the beatles. <laughs> uh it's like it's like one of those uh what was it like i saw this t-shirt that was like I was like, oh, you like the Beatles? Let me know when they become as influential as Five Finger Death Punch or something like that. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Well, maybe we'll close out on, on that. We'll close out on a, on a high note here. So, on, on Five Finger Death Punch? Uh, fi- I, I guess on Five Finger Death Punch. Yeah. A band yeah. that I only know from people at work. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, Ryan, uh, do you want to pitch your uh, podcast? Tell us what it is, where we can find it, all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, it's the Save Continue podcast. It's just a, uh, it's a uh, video game podcast that I do with uh, two of my friends, uh, where we just talk about different concepts in video games, everything from mechanics to storytelling devices and you know larger concepts framed around video games. Uh, also, there is a prevalence. Of dick jokes. So if you like any of those things, uh, it's safe. <laughs> it's safe. Continue podcast. We're on. Uh, you can just find us by typing it in on YouTube. Uh, we're also on pretty much every podcast platform, uh, and we upload uh, every two weeks. So uh, check us out. All right, Ryan. I'm gonna start naming podcast platforms. You tell me if you're on it or not. Sure. <laughs> All right. Not sure. <laughs> Go for it. Um, yeah, Spotify. Uh, yes, I, I only know like two. I, this this was uh, this was an empty threat on my part. <laughs> Actually, I found out that like I looked at our numbers and we are big in uh, Thailand and we're we're big in thailand and i think austria all right big with vpns yeah 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 yeah. we're we're in with the vpn crowd (laughs) uh joey you got anything going on anything exciting uh gonna go visit uh you guys in seattle that's about it coming coming soon texas invades seattle True, we'll be live on the boat before we know it. Uh, so look forward to that. Yeah. All, all right. Well, uh, we'll close out there. And uh, I guess uh, bye, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're still there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> bye. <laughs> Serious game faces here. All right. Right. Okay. On June 7th, 1980. On June 7th. Yeah. Fucked it up already. Fucked it up already. Canceled. Uh, (laughs) This just in Brian Brian Platt is not an ally. (laughs) Cannot cannot do a read. (laughs) Save his life.